Lord Jesus, so good to be here in this place, uh, so good to be in a familiar place um, with good people who also are wonderful voices that I get to love, and I'm thankful for that. So, Father God, I pray that your spirit would be here in a strong way. I pray that you would um, just move in the, only the way that you can. And um, thank you, Father, for Sabbath, for rest, and for worship. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, so, I was thinking back as in preparing uh, for today, I was thinking back to the time that um, I first got to stand in front of a church audience, and I had the opportunity to first um, share and talk up in front of a church. And believe it or not, it was, I was eight, eight, nine, or ten. I couldn't really narrow it down, or couldn't really, couldn't get, really remember exactly how old I was. But um, I was eight, nine, or ten, and I went to a Catholic school, and the Catholic school did something in the Catholic church, um, that was a part of the school, and I got to do a speech in front of everyone. And I was just a really young guy, and I think I had to, I think I even wrote it myself, and I had to get up and, and share this speech, um, like a paragraph and a half or a couple of, or a page, I can't even remember. And um, you know, I was really, you know, little guy, and you had to stand up on the little, the little thing that you stand up on. I'm still pretty little, so I probably could stand up on the thing again, but... Um, so, so I gave, you know, had to give my speech, but I remember my mom was my, because when you're little, your mom is always your speaking coach, right? Yes. So my mother was my speaking coach, and she, she said, you know, stand up straight and speak, speak loud, speak so that they can hear you, speak loud, speak clearly, pronounce your words very clearly so people understand what you are, what you're saying, you know, get up there and speak and speak loud and speak clearly so people understand what you're saying. That was the way mom coached me to do. And so on that day, I believe that I got up there and I did that. What is, what, the journey that I've been on recently, as, since I've left in the last six months, I've joined the team um, at an organization called World Vision. And we primarily operate um, with, in the space of global poverty. That's what we deal with. We deal with the poor, the very poor. And what I'm, what I'm learning has been a journey for me, and I want you to kind of take this journey with me because it's still an ongoing journey right here, even today as I'm speaking, is I'm trying to find this voice for the poor. Um, I, know, I don't stand in front of churches every Sabbath anymore and speak to congregations, although part of what I get to do for World Vision is that I do get to speak in front of churches, just not every week. Um, I still get to speak in front of churches, but I also speak in front of other organizations and other groups of people. It's a more public audience that I get to speak to, and, and I'm trying to find my voice on behalf of the poor, and what's resonating in my mind and echoing in my mind is how, you know, my mom, speak up, be able to speak clearly, speak loudly, um, because what she understood and what the heart of, I think, what she was trying to communicate me, to me and coach me on was that if you are indeed given the privilege to stand in front of an audience, a group of people, it's a privilege and it's an honor. Make sure you understand that you should speak up, you should speak loud and clear, and, and speak in such a way that, it's in, that you understand that it's important that God has given you something to say. That's what she was really communicating. It's so important 
what you have been given to say, make sure you say it well enough, you say it loud enough that people can hear it and they can understand it because it's a privilege to be able to stand and share. And so in my role now, I'm trying to find that voice because it is indeed a privilege and it is, it's an opportunity and it's a privilege and I have to find my voice for the poor. One of the things that's, that's been challenging me is um, just to understand that it may not always be about the words that you speak or even how clearly you speak them, but it may be about something deeper, and that is your heart. Um, the founder of World Vision is a guy by the name of Bob Pierce. He founded World Vision, but he also founded, founded another organization that you may not know as much about. Uh, it's called Samaritan's Purse. Um, he founded both of those organizations. I mean, this guy was phenomenal as I learned more and more about him. And um, he's famous for this prayer. And I'm going to have him put it on the screen for you. And maybe you've heard it before. I think when I was, you know, as a pastor, I've quoted it over the years. But listen to this. He's famous for this. This is the founder of World Vision. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. That's what he said. That's, that's the prayer that he's known for. And clearly something was going on deep in his heart and in his soul that he would create two organizations that would have such an impact on the poor and the vulnerable. And you know what I've seen as I'm still trying to hear the stories and learn the stories and develop my own voice? What I've seen with my colleagues and my coworkers at, at World Vision is just this heart that has been broken and just wrecked, if you will, over the poor and the most vulnerable people in the world. I work with people who have these voices and these messages and these stories and these narratives, man, that you just sit back and you go, wow, wow. And so one of the, one of the basic building blocks, or it, maybe it's the, it's the whole foundation of being able to have a voice for the poor on behalf of the most vulnerable people in the world is that at some level my heart has to be kind of messed up over what's going on with them. And what I'm learning on this journey of mine is that um, I got to have that heart. And I think, my, I think people in my family have that heart. I think my wife and my daughters have that heart. And God's sort of working on me now to give me that heart for people and the most vulnerable so that I can then have the voice that I need to speak up on behalf of the poorest and most vulnerable people in the world. So I'm going to take you to a passage, uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll have it all on the screen. But Luke chapter 4, and what's, I'll set it up a little bit. What's really powerful about these moments in Luke chapter 4, uh, about verse 14 through 30, is that it is, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a defining moment for Jesus. Um, in fact, in my mind, in, my, in this journey that I'm on to find my own, my own voice, I said, what better place to go to than to look at Jesus and to talk and to, to sit with Jesus a bit on these issues surrounding global poverty and the poor. And so what we find in this section of, of Luke is Jesus um, in this moment, in a crucial moment, a critical moment at the beginning of his ministry, and um, 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 he speaks loudly. And he speaks clearly and he articulates the values of his kingdom, what matters most to him. You know, it's a privilege to stand before people. And when you have that opportunity, when you have that moment, man, don't waste it. And Jesus knew that 
that this was the moment as he's going back to his hometown to speak to his people. So go there with me, Luke chapter 4. We'll read through the passage together, if you will, with me. Uh, Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. And it goes like this. Read along. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he goes back to his hometown. He knows the neighborhood. People probably trying to figure out and recognize his face. Where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath, he, Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Verse 21, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? So here's Jesus in this moment that is a privilege to have. And he, under the under the coaching of the Holy Spirit, he speaks up in this loud, very clear voice. And what's at the top of his voice is a word about the poor. Good news. Good news for those who are the broken and the most vulnerable people in the world. That's what Jesus, in this moment, it's a defining moment. It's, it's, it's the pivotal moment as he launches a new ministry. He's, he's the, 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 the hometown boy that's come back home. They haven't seen him in a while. And this is what he's going to open with. I mean, if you're coming back home, you want to be able to, you know, you want to be able to talk to your people. You want to be able to kind of win them over. They've been hearing things. Oh, this guy's good. This is going to be great. And what he leads with, what he leads with. It's this word about the good news for the poor. That speaks to me as, again, I'm trying to find my voice and say, well, Jesus found this to be profoundly significant. He found this to be incredibly important. The poor and the vulnerable matter to him. So wherever Jesus goes and whatever he does, and the, the, you know, wherever he um, uh, preaches, he's going to talk about this. This is a big topic him. If you notice, even in the narrative itself, as, as, as Luke writes this narrative out, notice what happens. Um, chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the first part of 4 are basically, they cover fairly quickly some large gaps of some large time spans. So he covers weeks and he covers, he covers years, he covers, he covers months and he covers years fairly quickly. When he gets to this section of Luke, he decelerates. When, G, when Luke gets to this section of this narrative where he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus makes and speaks out loudly with a clear voice, when he gets to this section, he slows the, the, the narrative down a bit. And essentially what he's saying is, take a close look at this. All the audiences that would hear him then and the audience that would hear him now, take your time 
and listen to this. Because this happens over a few days. This is Jesus, and he's, he's ministering in Galilee, and it takes just a few days. But Luke slows it down and says, pay attention to this. And what I hear Jesus saying, and what he's speaking to me is, you got to slow down and lean in and listen to how Jesus feels about the poor and the most vulnerable people. If we're going to have a voice, and maybe you're on this journey with me, if we're going to have a voice for them, and if, if indeed this is high on God's priority list, we have to slow down and take the time and hear what God is saying about speaking up for the poor. All right, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, you can pick the same theme up if you look at the other uh, synoptic gospels as we refer to them as. If you go to Matthew, check this out in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 verses 2 through 5 says this. You hear this same idea emerge. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one uh, is, who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. See, hear that? The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the... Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The same theme emerges when Jesus has an opportunity to talk about what means a great deal to him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that he talked about the good news to the poor. Even earlier in Luke, Luke chapter 3, check this out. Luke chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. John the Baptist, the context of it is John the Baptist is preaching a message of repentance is what it says. And um, people are coming and being baptized by John the Baptist. And then the people, are, after they get baptized, they say, well, now what do we do? He preaches, repent. They come get baptized, and they say, what do we do? Notice what John the Baptist says to them. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Hmm. So it would appear that even Matt, you know, as they recorded the narrative, all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, picked up on this main idea that Jesus spoke big about, that he used the most defining, the most pivotal moments in his ministry to speak about. They rose to the top of what he wanted to talk about. And I would say, if you're having, if we're struggling to find our voice on behalf of the poor, lean into what Jesus focused on the most. Lean into what he said Read the narratives where it slows down. And Jesus says, pay attention because this is what I'm all about. Because wherever I am and wherever my representatives are, are, I would hope that there's good news for the poor. I would pray that there's good news for those who are oppressed. I would pray that there's good news for those who need, those who have no voice and who need to be heard. Okay, so what's... What's really interesting is that this section of Luke in particular, um, if you, like I was saying, if you go to Luke chapter 3, um, it's the temptation of Jesus. 
As he goes into chapter 4, he goes, uh, it's, it's this section that we're reading, and it's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's 30 years old. He returns to home. He's in Galilee. He's come back home to Nazareth and the surrounding area, and he begins his public ministry. But Luke actually leaves out about a year of ministry that Jesus does because Jesus actually, after the temptation, um, he heads south into Judea and he actually begins, I, in the first service or second service, I called it kind of a soft launch of Jesus' ministry. That may not be totally accurate. Nevertheless, that's where he begins to do, uh, that's where he performs the first miracle, turning the water into wine there. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics don't record that, but John does. And what has really been powerful to look at this, as, as John takes up the gap year, you still pick up the same, the same priority of the poor, even in the gap year as Jesus started his ministry immediately after the temptation. Notice what it says here in John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, why is that significant? Jesus doesn't say anything about poor folks specifically in that, in that message. But he does say something about the tone of his ministry, the tone of his voice about the poor. You can even pick it up if you go back to our passages in Luke, Luke chapter 4, and I think it's about verse 22. They were all excited and happy because of why? With the grace with which he spoke his words. Jesus came, put on flesh, dwelt amongst people, spoke in grace and truth. Again, as I wrestle with trying to find my own voice, I, that is so significant to me. Because number one, if you're going to have a voice about the poor, you might want to get close to the poor. If you want to know about um, kind of who they are and what they are about, if you want to know the plight of the poor, if you want to have your heart sort of messed up over the poor, Bernie, go and be amongst the poor. Go dwell with the poor. And that's what Jesus would do. And so part, actually, as part of what I actually get to do, it's part of my job. I actually, um, people go on mission trips. My job is to take people on vision trips. So I take people to the parts of the world where, where World Vision operates, and they get to see up close and personal. They get to dwell with those who are suffering the most in the world. So World Vision, um, we, we employ about 45,000 people around the world. The majority of those people are in the countries where we operate, and they're hired because they're indigenous to that country. So they know it. They know what's going on. They have a heart for it. Um, and then we're, we operate in about 100 different countries, so all around the world. And again, part of my job is to sort of incarnate, to take people so that we can all have this experience and have our hearts impacted because as Jesus pointed out or as Jesus proved or showed us by coming, you got to put on flesh and just kind of dwell and be there for a minute. You can't necessarily have a voice for the poor if you can't identify with the poor. That's also true with local, um, local poverty as well. So I operate primarily in the global space. Um, I deal 
around the world, but there's also the local reality of poverty. And if we're going to have a voice for even the local reality of poverty, you have to go and be with, at some level, the actual poor. So this was good to me, that God would help me see, that Jesus would help me see that in order to have a voice for the poor, then you might want to get close to the poor. Then to speak in grace and in truth. I found myself at times over the years, and maybe this is true of you too, have you found yourself sort of passing judgment on the poor? And, and you kind of go, well, if they would just do this, and they've been given that, so they should be able to do this. They should be able to find their way out of poverty. They should be, okay, we've done this for them. Why can't they do this? Or if we give them this and they stop doing that, then that will solve all the problems and they will be fine. Have you ever, seen, have you ever found yourself not showing as much grace to the poor as perhaps you even give you know, to other people around you? We pass judgment and we make assumptions about the poor. And yet Jesus is saying here, the tone of our voice for the poor, if you want to find a voice, the tone of that voice has to be a voice of grace, of favor, of not judging them, of not, of not trying to figure out you know, how to critique or to criticize, but actually how to show favor to undeserved, unmerited favor, maybe because you and I also have received, have been the recipients of much grace, right? Um, grace and truth. I thought that was pretty powerful because, again, I find myself being impatient with it. And then sometimes we go, well, well man, we've given so much. Shouldn't that be enough? Haven't, haven't things come along? Haven't we made any progress in this? Or th is this just... Is this just pointless what we're doing? Um, so Jesus says truth. Not only do we have to operate with the voice of grace, but we also have to operate with the voice of truth. And the truth of the matter is we don't always know about the complex issues surrounding global poverty, about the systemic issues that go on that lock people into cycles and generations of poverty. You want to toss me that? Sure, I'll take it. <laughs> Um, we don't always know about those things. So uh, the current president and CEO of, of World Vision is Rich Stearns, wrote a fabulous book called The Hole in Our Gospel. Amazing guy. Uh, he's retiring here in a, in, uh, towards the end of the year after 20 years. But to hear him, uh, to hear his voice speak into my heart over the last six months has been really, really powerful because he talks about the truth of poverty. And he would tell you, he would tell you that in the last 20 years, about a billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty. About a billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty. But he would also say that the nature of, of global poverty has changed somewhat, that it has retreated into what he terms fragile states that there are political realities, that there are, um, that there are uh, uh, conflicts and things around the world where the, where the poor reside that push their plight back into the background and it is less seen. He would say uh, poverty has retreated to those fragile states and because of wars and because of the politics, because of the governments in some of those places, those places are called fragile states, and it's very, very difficult for the voice on behalf of the poor to be heard. 
It's very difficult for the best that needs to be given to the poor to be given to them. So yes, we might say in our most cynical moments, haven't we done enough? Haven't we given enough? Why, how come the problems haven't been solved? And yes, they have been solved, about a billion people out of poverty. But there's still more to be done. And it's much more complex. There's a truth to it that we may not understand. One of the craziest stats that I heard when I joined the team at World Vision was this, that every day about a thousand children die from diarrhea from drinking contaminated drinking water. A thousand kids between the ages of five and younger die from drinking, uh, die from diarrhea because they drank dirty uh, water. Crazy. Um, the, the, thing, the cool thing is, the powerful thing is, the voice of World Vision, the voice of other organizations are working really, really hard so that people in the developing world, people who need clean water, are getting clean water every 10 seconds now. So work is being done and work, uh, work has been done to lift people out, but there's also more work to be done. The voices still have to be heard because this, the needs still really exist. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, as you think about your own voice on behalf of the poor, as you think about um, how it is that we begin to talk about it, and sometimes it's even a little awkward to talk about, think about Jesus, how he came and he was close to the poor. Think about Jesus and how he used his voice on behalf of the poor. Think about the grace that we have to extend to the poor and think about the truth. It may be that we need to read more, understand more, um, go to ADRA's website, go to other NGOs, go to World Vision's website, go to Compassion's website, go to all these different organizations who already have a voice and who understand it and help and begin to understand the plight and the complex nature of global poverty so that we can then have a voice of grace on behalf of the global poor. So Jesus does something very interesting. The people are very pleased with him. They're very pleased with him. Uh, they like his sermon, right? And it's a pretty short sermon too, if you think about it. Um, in the synagogue, this is kind of how the church service went. They would have a, a, some readings and some prayers. Then they'd have, a, they'd have a section read from the prophets. And so Jesus, as he comes to the synagogue, the visiting rabbi, he, um, he reads from the prophets. And then he says, uh, as you have been hearing me read from Isaiah chapter 61, and he closes it, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That prophet was talking about me. That's pretty cool, actually. That's awesome. And then he sits down. And then the way the synagogue worked is that then the teacher, the rabbi, would expound upon what he just read to you. And it's pretty powerful because after Jesus, he, he says, he, he reads this, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's the sermon, basically. Uh, people are very happy. Yay, that's good. But then he begins to talk about it a little bit deeper. And he cites a couple of other examples from the Bible that they would have read. And it makes them furious and it makes them mad. So mad that they want to kill him. Now, I don't know what turned in there. I don't know what happened that would move people to want be praising him on the one. This is a good dude. We're so glad he came back and we're, we're praising him. He's awesome. But now they want to kill him. It could be 
that Jesus spoke with grace, but he also spoke with truth. And there was a truth that they were hearing that was very, very difficult for them to hear. I think it's the truth for all of us because the reality is we all come to the table with nothing. We're all spiritually impoverished. We're all the spiritually poor. But it may be that as that audience was sitting there listening, as those religious leaders, as those people who had sort of been around the church a long time heard those words, they were slightly offended at the notion that they were poor, that they were the impoverished, that they needed to hear anything about the poor, right? And they, get, they got offended by that. And here's the thing that I've, that I've come up with as I, begin, as I develop my own voice for the poor, and that is this. None of us get anywhere. None of us are saved without someone giving us a gift. None of us are saved without someone getting us a gift. And so all the people that Jesus was speaking there to and all the, the references that, that he made to other sections of the, of the Bible that they would have had all referenced people who were spiritually impoverished and they all needed a gift. And Jesus just stood right there in the synagogue and said, hey, I am that gift for you. I am the only gift that ultimately saves you. And I think that's a really powerful idea on behalf of the material poor. Without a gift, without a gift, it can't be saved. It can't be saved. And that makes some people a little upset, you know. It makes some people a little bit nervous because here we go again. We're talking about, you know, giving the gift and this sort of thing. But without the gift, you wouldn't have been saved either. And without the gift, I wouldn't be saved. And without the gift, I wouldn't have what I have. And without the gift, you wouldn't have what you have. So let me, let me, let me finish here. Um, my, uh, my aunt is, um, my aunt works at Costco. Anybody ever been to Costco? Yay, Costco. Been to Costco? Buy massive amounts of things. It's great. Um, and she worked, oh, the snack bar. She works specifically at the snack bar. Been to the Costco snack bar? Yes? Oh, come on. Confess it. You, you have been. Um, had the pizza, yes. So she works there, and she is so good at what she does. She, she has her customers, and she knows them. They know her, and uh, she knows their orders. They're walking up. She's like, oh, hey, how you doing? Da, da, da. It'll be this much, and they, she already knows it, you know? And um, she's been asked to be a manager because she's just so good at it, and she says, no, I don't want to do that. I just like my customers. And um, there's one older gentleman that was a, that was a customer of hers who came um, to the store. He was in the store. He hadn't been to the snack bar yet. And he got just incredibly ill in the store, so much so that he ended up in the bathroom and he made a total mess of everything. It was a kind of sick where you go to the bathroom a lot, a lot. Older gentleman, his health wasn't necessarily that great, and here he is a mess in the restroom. So the manager comes up on the scene, and he goes, ooh, this is bad. I don't want to handle this. Hey, Bernie's aunt, Karen, I'm going to get her. This is her customer. So he goes and gets my aunt, and she shows up on the scene, and she goes, hey, Mr. Smith, and she dives right in to begin to clean up him and the mess and all the stuff that was all over the place. And in that moment, Again, I go back to the passage that only John records about Jesus 
as he's speaking up loudly about on behalf of the poor, that he came and became flesh and he dwelt amongst the people. He spoke with, and he spoke with grace and he spoke with truth. Here's my aunt who's the gift to this man in a terrible situation. It's embarrassing, it smells, and it's a mess. And she walks in as a voice of grace. She begins to clean it up. She cleans up all the mess. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't blink an eye and moves on. See, I think that you and I have to figure out how we can be a gift. At the end of the day, the, the voice that I have is a voice of one who can be a gift to someone else in some kind of way. I don't know what that looks like. But somehow, we got to understand that we don't get saved without a gift. And they, the most vulnerable people in the world, don't get saved without a gift. And perhaps you can be that gift in some way. It may require you to go into some really nasty places. But God may also break your heart in the process. So I pray, I pray that somehow we might be the gift to someone else. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, for the story that you told. Uh, thank you, God, that you told it through Luke the way that you did. And God, those are critical moments where you spoke up about your kingdom and what it would be about. And it would be about how we could be a gift to the poor. And so, Father God, I pray that um, that would... S- that would help me in my search to find that voice on their behalf. And not everyone works in the same way that I do, but they are Christ followers and believers. And so, God, I pray for all of us that we would lean in and hear you so that we could all have this chorus of voices on behalf of the most vulnerable people in the world. Thank you, Father God, again for Sabbath and the rest that you bring. May we continue to rest in you throughout the rest of this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.